There's no rules! Shoot a lower score! There's one rule! Come on. Welcome back to Franklin Bridge, where we've had an absolutely incredible night here. So we have a, a little bit of a more intimate crowd here for our last episode of the night, uh, where we're going to be talking about Scott's second book, Golf Decoded. Uh, and if you want some more information on Golf Decoded or his first book, The Champion's Playbook, make sure that you follow him on Instagram at Golf, or just shoot him a, uh, a DM in Instagram. That'd probably be the best way to put it. But both of the books are available on Amazon now, so make sure that you go take a look at Amazon if you're interested in any of those. But um, just want to start out this episode by by thanking everybody who came out to the first two episodes. And if you're still here for the third, that's amazing as well. Um, but we gave out, man, we gave out free lessons for a year, a custom wedge, custom fitted wedge, custom fitted putter. We gave out towels. We gave out, uh, what else did we give out, Scott? We gave out towels. We gave out uh, yardage book covers. We've given out a lot of stuff here. Um, Chef Richard cooked us up some amazing tacos and bruschetta tonight, which is absolutely delicious. And my mom made some awesome cookies with the red bridge. Oh on them. yes, and we have the we literally have cookies with the Franklin Bridge logo stamped into them as well on on some icing. So I mean, just incredible nights. Can't thank the uh, the community of Franklin Bridge enough. And if you guys are are coming out here in the future, um, just geez. Just because I had two tacos recently, shout out to Chef Richard. A lot of people think that golf course food is just hot dogs and hamburgers, but man, he does it upright. So if you guys have a chance to stop in, make sure that you check out his cooking as well. Super random shout out, but he doesn't get enough love around here. He needs uh, he cooks yeah. some delicious food. So we've got a new menu coming, I think. New so. menu coming. There you go. Uh, so I we're gonna be go wrong ahead. My Richard, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, he's gonna be, chef's gonna be mad at you if you just promoted something. Hey, you no, know I'm I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> But uh, let's go ahead and dive into our little 15-minute episode here, uh, which is a little bit of a promo for Scott's book, Golf Decoded, and I'll just share uh, the story that I shared during the break. But uh, Scott came to me uh, one day in, in the uh, club, and he was like, hey, man, what if I told you I could predict uh, PGA Tour events within a half a stroke? And I was like, well, I'd tell you you're crazy. So... Um, we're going to kind of get into some of the measurements that we've done to uh, project those scores. But uh, the biggest memory is going to be Colin Morikawa winning the Memorial, I believe, last year. And uh, we were able to win some money off of Colin. But the majority of the story here is that, number one, we can predict golfers' scores in tour events up to a half a stroke. But you can use this yourself to improve your golf game from a statistics standpoint. So the swing is only uh, a small percentage of the game. Course management represents a very large percentage of the game. And these metrics and statistics are going to be able to uh, give you some insight for how you can improve. So, Scott, uh, I'm going to turn it over to you. Talk to me a little bit about the book, what you've been working on and how this came to be and why other people should pay attention to it. So a um, couple of things. One, um, we're able to measure all sorts of stuff. So uh, there's there's basic data. And if there's anybody in the room that likes data, can. Um, is uh, there are certain parts of data that you just can't measure, like... How do you measure instinct? You you see business owners of major corporations pivot away from what the data says, and they're highly successful. Why is that? There's something um, out there now called thick data. 
So thick data is trying to measure those intangibles, the the culture of a place, the um, the feel and sense of where something's going without actual measurement ability to measure it. So thick data is that trying to test that instinct side. Um, here's the problem. Uh, modern stats are fairway hit, greens hit, putts, strokes gained. Strokes gains a total joke, by the way. Um, so strokes gain is just a cool way to put something up there. It's like, oh, look, he won the tournament. His strokes gained were blank. Well, um, yeah. Mm, yeah, duh. Of he course he did because he yeah. won the tournament. Right, right? yeah. Fact like, check. They yeah, just tell us something that happened. They, they didn't actually tell us why it happened. Tell so me that's, something I don't know. Yeah, right. So um, hit more fairways, hit more greens. The problem is how? The problem is why did I miss greens? What, how, do you, how do you measure that? How do you measure how good a strategy is? And why did he make that putt versus another putt? Right. We've talked about this. You know, so why, why is it that that putt went in versus a bunch of the other putts correct. that were so, also really good? Right. Um, so Elijah's applied this to his game, and it's really cool um, to see it and us be able to track it. Um, but uh, what I have up on the screen, I'm going to give you kind of a sneak peek. So... There's a lot of numbers up on that screen, okay? So don't freak out. It's just numbers. We're okay. Here's the really cool part about this. This is actually a measure chiefly of strategic ability. It is not a measure of skill. Skill is a part of it. But it's not chiefly a measure of skill. It's chiefly a measure of strategic understanding and ability. And execution. Right. Being able to execute on that strategy. So... <clears throat> which also allows us to see how good is your personal awareness to be able to hit things. Um, so if we look at Phil Mickelson, you know, Phil's a hot topic right now. Um, but round two at the bottom, okay? So if I zoom in here, round two, 6.39 under par. This is the PGA Championship in 2021. So that's what he was projected to be after two rounds. After two rounds, he should shoot roughly 6.39 under par. So <clears throat> if we zoom up here, so you'll see rounds one, two, three, and four. The far column. Now, he was going to shoot over par in the final round. He shot six under. We got it within four-tenths of a shot. We're able to predict it before it happened. Now... <clears throat> Kepka and Oosthuizen were projected to finish at 11 and 12 under par after two rounds. Now imagine if this is in the hands of Kepka and Oosthuizen's caddies. Phil has zero chance. What are Kepka and Oosthuizen trying to do in the final round? They're trying to, because they fell back, they're trying to catch Phil. You don't need to catch him. He's going to come back. Has to. Mathematically, he almost has to come back. It is rare, and I don't think I've seen it with the exception of Scotty Scheffler, to beat your number, your projection, for four rounds. You can beat it for one. I've seen it be beaten for two or three. But only in one or two cases of the ones that we've measured have I seen somebody beat it for four rounds. It is rare for them to get ahead of their number for four rounds. It is common for them to fall off their number, which then tells us to be able to go back and go, where did they lose the shots? Where were the five or six shots that... Uh, Kepka and Oosthuizen lost 
They were supposed to get to 12. Where'd they lose them? And if you look at their projections, they got worse over the next two rounds. And so strategically, as we're looking at this as players, like, hey, we just got to stay in the same strategy pattern. We just stay right here. We're going to beat him. Phil won that because they lost it. Now, people go, well, how come, like, can you tell me before the round starts? No. The reason why I can't tell you before the round starts is they don't play the golf course the same way because I don't think they see it this way. Um, so, <clears throat> and here's the really cool part. It's done on three data points. Uh, anybody in here have any understanding of regression analysis or any sort of stat stuff? Come on, Ken, raise your hand. I know you do. Some people do a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> so what we're looking for there's something called the p-value uh there's something called the p-value the p-value is essentially a measure of how accurate is this in being able to predict like these variables will tell us that this fits like how good is this model like if if the data points are this value for these three different things how accurate is the model now if you get a p-value of less than 0 0.05 that's really really good if you get it less than 0 0.01 you're killing it you're on it the p-value for this is less than 0 0.0001 it is accurate to basically the 99.99 percentile that's unheard of in stat tracking. And we've tried to work it different ways. We've tried to separate par threes from par fours and par fives and like separate them out and it loses its accuracy, which makes sense, right? So if you pull par threes out, the game isn't a par three game. If you pull par fours out, the game isn't a par four game. We're trying to look at your whole of your averages. So if you've read my first book, golf is a game of averages. We're trying to figure out what is your average behavior. Um, and so <clears throat> we were able to look at that average behavior and actually measure it. So the question is, what are these three data points? So how many of you have heard of this basic strategy? If the pin's on the left, you want to hit it to the right half of the fairway. How many of you have heard that? If the pin's on the left side, you want to hit it to the right side. That's traditionally the way it's been taught, right? So, and there's some accuracy to that. But the question is, how do we measure that? And <clears throat> there are some pins here. How many of you, I mean, number one back left pin. Who's familiar with that? Now, if we shift that whole location... The best place to play the back left hole location, provided that it's slightly closer to that tier in the green than it is the, than the left edge of the green, even if it's only closer by a yard, it is better for you to hit it in the left half of that fairway into the left rough than it is to hit it. It's a back left pin, but it's better to play it to the left side. So you don't have to hit it down that far. So, so here's the thing. My data doesn't care about rough it doesn't care about fairway it doesn't care about bunkers it doesn't care about any of that now why is that important tour players are able to hit every shot in the book this exposes if you aren't able to shoot your number then we can go okay where'd i lose my three shots well i was under the tree over there on number one right so we're going to use that example i was under the tree on number one well where'd you play it to well okay you, you hit the op that's what's called opposite the pin so you, you've hit the op which is worth 0 0.05 seven I think is the exact number I can look at it in my book um, but it's worth that much of a stroke <clears throat> and then the next shot would be where'd that one go well if you miss the BPN that's worth three tenths of a shot so now you've lost almost a half a shot there so you go well I made bogey there I see I hit it under the tree I was like no you didn't understand where to place your next shot now do you have an under the tree shot that can get on the left side actually it's better to miss the green there than it is to be in the center of the green 
So BPN stands for ball pin nearest edge of the green. So, <clears throat> well, sorry, not nearest edge of the green. <laughs> That's how it started. So it started with if the pin's on the right side of the green, you want your ball to be on the left side of the green. That's the widest spot to hit your golf ball. It's the widest part of the green. That's where you want to play it to. That's the way it's traditionally taught. And there's a lot of truth to that. However, what about slopes in the green? How do those affect the decision-making of where you should place the golf ball? So it goes ball. You want your ball to finish. So if this is, if this is the edge of the green here and the flag is, we use this, if the flag is here, you want your ball to finish here. The orientation would be ball, pin, nearest edge of and the green. This is super important because everybody, for example, the tour will measure greens and regulation, right? Correct. But how many of y'all on number one with that top left pin position accidentally hit it on the bottom right, and then you have to put up that massive hill and hope that you get your lag right to where you can tap in for a two-putt, right? Right. Wouldn't you rather almost be on the fringe on the back left and put through that fringe and get to the get to the hole then put all the way up the slope because technically the PGA Tour is measuring greens and regulation they're counting that as a check but in our book we're like ah you'd correct. probably be better off being up there on the slope or on the top tier no matter where you are correct so <clears throat> to give you a better understanding so the nearest edge can be redefined by severe slopes in the green roughly three and a half degrees of slope now you don't have to know roughly three and a half. You can see three and a half. You're like, man, that's kind of severe, right? If you look at a slope and go, man, that's kind of severe, it's probably at least three degrees of slope. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that was that was where I was going. Yeah, like it's, we it's need it's to actually define like, what the nearest edge is. Yeah, so as the well. nearest edge has to be defined. So, <clears throat> in the case of if that pin is three yards from the left edge of the green up there, and it's five yards from the tier, then the edge of the green is the closest. If the edge, if that tier is three yards from the flag, and the nearest, and the edge of the green is five yards, then the tier is the nearest edge. Golf course architects have designed golf courses to be able to play it into a better spot. Um, so that's the BPN stands for ball pin nearest edge. People go, you mean being off the green is better? Yes. Well, I suck at my wedges. Okay, now we're into you need to learn how to hit your wedges, right? So it's exposing technical weaknesses. It's also exposing strategic weaknesses. I'm going to hit it to the middle of the green. That's cool. You just lost a third of the shot in that particular scenario. Yeah, but are you a good lag putter? Right. Like hitting it to the center is great, but if you're, bad at if you're putting over slopes and across grain and up and down, you're like going to struggle. You're probably going to make more bogeys than if you flag hunt and get up and down. Because right. And you can't flag hunt everywhere. may not be good from 40 feet. Right, but you can't flag hunt everywhere. You have to know where to flag hunt. Correct, yeah. In that particular location, it's a time to go for it. Um, Y'all remember it was at Pebble, I think, this year, where um, Jason Day hold one from the fairway trying to chase down Zalatoris. Hold it from the left side of the fairway. Now, the pin was on the left side of the green, so traditionally we would think he's on the wrong side. Zalatoris hit it into the right half of the fairway. However... There was the pin was about two to three yards from a slope that was on the right. So um, it's a really tiny greens at Pebble. Okay, they aren't very big. So that makes it even more difficult. So it seems weird. So opposite the pin traditionally would be Zalatoris would be in the correct position. But because that flag was closer to that edge, that severe slope in the green, 
Jason Day was in a better position by being on the left side. Jason Day hold that wedge shot. People think it's magic. It was a great shot, but it wasn't uncommon. If you hit it into the correct side, that stands for the OP, it improves your proximity to the hole, which is important. Now, I went on this journey to see if position was better or proximity to the hole was better, and I preached for a while that proximity trumps everything, which which makes sense, right? Hit it closer to the hole, that's going to help. Chip it closer to the hole, everything closer to the hole. That is That has value. Here's the crazy part. The BPN is worth .2903 shots. It's basically a third of a shot. <clears throat> Each time you hit it, it drops your score by a third of a shot. Proximity, and I define it as, it's called POA, proximity on first attempt. So it's your first attempt at the green. Intent is everything, right? Strategy is about intent. So I could decide to lay up to 30 yards or 40 or 50 yards short of a green on a par five and not have intent to go for it. I could hit it in the trees off the tee, have to kick it out in the fairway and then go for it. It's all about intent to go for the green. So now we're actually starting to, to measure that thick data of intentionality. Um, and here's the really cool part about this data. If I have these three data points for your round and I have the, the par on the hole, I can kind of see what the hole is. I can predict, I can tell you the number of fairways you hit and number of greens you hit, number of putts you had, your up and down percentage. You cannot do the other with that. You can't go the other way. You can only go from, from these three data points, you can go that way. But from that data, you can't come back this way because it doesn't tell you why. <clears throat> so <clears throat> in that OP scenario that improves your overall average, this is why I could tell, tell you Morikawa was going to win the golf tournament because he was hitting far more number of those marks. POA is worth point, which is measured by per foot. Okay, proximity on first attempt. So the relative value of each foot is worth point zero zero five nine shots. It is 50 times more important that you hit the correct location than each foot you hit it closer. 50 times. So <clears throat> the BPN is worth point, is worth negative 0 0.2903, right? So it drops your score by three-tenths of a shot. The POA, proximity on first attempt, um, is a positive number, right? So each foot you hit it further from the hole, your score goes up. That makes intuitive, logical sense, right? Nothing crazy about that but it's only worth 0 0.0057. It's not worth very much. So it's like, I hit it 10 feet closer. Cool, you picked up 0 0.05 shots. You hit it 10 feet closer and hit it on the wrong side of the flag. So your net gain is, uh, well, that you missed two point, negative 2.9. So now you actually got, you picked up 0 0.05, but you lost negative 2.9, right? So it's three data points. The really fun part, this is where it gets cool. Predicting tournaments is cool and fun and all that, but like sometimes guys change their strategies and they get better. They learn a golf course better and change it. Sometimes they get worse, whatever. And so there are times where the data doesn't work out perfectly, but that allows us to go like, oh, well, see, you weren't right about Jason Day. He missed his number by three shots. Then I can look at you and go, where are the three? That's the hardest part. Tour players have pages of data. Putting from 10 feet, putting from 11 feet, putting from 12 feet, putting from 11 feet left to right, putting from 11 feet right to left, 
uh, 50 yards from the right rough, 50 yards from the left rough. Like they have all of these data points. How do you sort through it? Like, cool, it went there. Why did it go there? Ooh. Why didn't hit as many greens because it didn't hit as many fairways? Why didn't you hit as many fairways? Why didn't you score from missing fairways? Well, because I was on the wrong side. How do you know it was on the wrong side? There's no, nobody's measuring that. There's, there's no measurement of that. And we need to measure strategy. Um, and so it's like, yeah, I hit more fairways. Cool. How does that tell me anything about your strategy? You, hit, you just hit it better. Maybe you aimed at the middle of the green more. Okay, I could get like that's one tiny facet of the whole thing. Uh, Jason Day needs to improve one thing, and he'll take down everybody. He needs to learn how to hit it from the rough. I can tell you that mathematically from three data points. All he would come back and play great if he can just play from the rough. He hits it on the correct side a lot. We don't know how to play it from the rough. His proximity from the fairway is awesome, so I'd try and get him to hit more fairways. Actually, I'd be trying to get him to. Their fairways are 25 yards wide, y'all. Like, they aren't big. You're going to miss fairways. Learn how to hit it from the rough, Jason Day. Get better at it. Is there anything else that you see from a tour player that you've analyzed in your data where you're like, man, they could be really different if they did oh, this? Oh, Tony Finau. Tony Finau could smoke the socks off of everybody. So we call it, in my book, I've named it, pulling a Finau. Okay. That's, That's not a, a compliment, by the way. <laughs> no, it's okay. not. Uh, so let's find. Um, oh, this one. So, so let's look at this. So it takes roughly fourteen and a half to fifteen BPNs to win a PGA Tour event. If you're not hitting that many, there are some exceptions like Augusta. Nobody hits a lot of them because the greens are so small and they've got all sorts of pits, so it's really hard to hit the locations. Um, although. Scheffler was crazy high on BPNs, and his proximity was awful. Cameron Smith was projected to beat Scotty Scheffler by four shots. And so it's like, do I trust my data here? But, but Cameron Smith's proximity was insanely good. Like, that can't hold up if your BPNs are at seven and eight. You, it, it can't hold up. I, I haven't seen it hold up, but my data was holding true. Like, hey, he's going to catch him and pass him. And sure enough, you finally see it, you know, come home to roost and falls apart. Cameron Smith couldn't handle it. And then if you look at Scotty Scheffler, his proximity on first attempt was the highest I've ever seen from somebody winning a PGA Tour tournament when he won the Masters. But he hit it in all the cur his BPNs were insane. His BPNs were like 16. Which is at Augusta. Unreal. Yeah. Nobody's close to that. So what but was But his it? proximity was terrible. Do y'all see how good he was getting up and down? But he's in the best spots to be able to mm -hmm. do it. So look at Speeth. Y'all remember when Speeth uh, choked it like crazy at Sanderson Farms. All right, so this is Spieth. Uh, CY up there, right? That is the BPN. Look at the BPNs for Spieth. 12, 10, 13, 14. Is that high enough to win a PGA Tour event based on what I just told you? No. No, okay. Look at his proximity on first attempt. To give you context, Elijah will tell you this, less than 650 feet, you're golfing your golf ball. Like, you're hitting it well. It's very good considering um, in this proximity figure, you're also figuring up for the most part that these tour players are going for par fives and twos. So they're, they're having at least between par threes and par fives four to eight shots that are over 200 yards. 
And I mean, a lot of people will, will go by the, like the 10% principle. So if you're from 200 yards and you hit it to 20 feet, like really, really good. Yeah. That's insane. Kind of thing. Good. Yeah. Um, so yes, I mean, when you're talking about PGA tour length, hitting it to 421, I mean, that's pretty stupid. I mean, that's, that's hitting it to that's nothing. That's pretty like, darn stupid. That's insane. It's really hard to hold that up if you're on the wrong side of the flag. And it's really hard to sustain your scores. Now, the cool part is I talk about this story in my book. My data said that Spieth should have made five bogeys at that point in the tournament. He had only made two. After three rounds, he should have made five bogeys. He had only made two. Now, if you extend that to a fourth round, right? If you extend that to a fourth round, that same averages out to four rounds. That means he should make seven after four rounds, okay? How, so that we've got, he's supposed to have made seven. He's made two. Guess how many bogeys he made in the final round? Made five. Now, he will talk about, man, I just didn't hit as good today. I was like, no, your distance control wasn't as good and you hit on the wrong side of the flag. You actually didn't hit it bad. Your distance control wasn't great. And because you've been hitting it on the wrong side, that bird finally came home to roost. But does anybody know, and probably most of you guys have felt this at some point, you haven't been able to describe it. Does anybody know when the the wheels are about to fall off the track? Like you can feel that, right? Like, like it just feels like, oh my gosh, this thing's about to fall apart. In the bottom of your heart that like you cannot continue to play the way you're playing and score the way mm -hmm. you're scoring. I talk about that in my first book. Your brain's telling you, hey, warning, warning. If we keep this up, we're in trouble. Yeah. So that's one. So I didn't talk about this in building confidence, but confident. Your brain is a massive data processor. Even the best AI, even the best computers in the world, you can put them all together and it they can't compete. They're not even within a hundredth or one fiftieth of what the brain's processing power is. Like it's insane. It's not even close. And it takes the power of an entire hundred-story building to be able to power those computers. And our brain does it with the amount of electricity to power these LED light bulbs, right? It's processing 11 million bits of information every second, every single second. Your brain knows what's going on. It's happening underneath. That's why you have that feeling like it's all about to break. And that's why you see all of that start to fall apart. So this is, this is a call to fix the, fix the data. Get over here. Get over here. Get over here. Get on this side. The beauty of the BPN, and I'm not going to draw it out for you like how you draw it. Like there's a specific way to draw the lines to be able to measure it. But when you have that, it's like people can hit it to a side. Like people are good enough to at least hit it over there or over there, right? You're at least good enough to, for the most part, to get it somewhere over there or over there. You can pick a side, all right? So we can at least do that. Um, not everybody's able to get it super close. So I what? Still, I still need to hear what a now is. We've been waiting okay, on the Okay, so sorry, seat. pulling a now. Yeah. So pulling a now <laughs> is having insanely tight proximity with low BPNs, and the data says you should finish whatever. So if we look at Spieth after two rounds... Uh, we're still looking at CY. So CY, it says 11.41 under round two. It says he should shoot basically between 11 and 12 under par. So after three rounds, everybody's like, Spee's going to win the golf tournament because he's 15 under. I was like, he's going to shoot three over. Shot three over, shot 12 under for the golf tournament. He pulled a fee now. 
You hit it close all the time, but you're on the wrong mark, and at some point that puppy comes home to roost. So this uh, is pretty much like to give you an example. Has anybody hit a shot into number seven in the middle of the summertime, and it's back right, and you hit it just past the flag about ten feet, and everyone goes, "Oh man, it was a great shot." Like, nope, wrong. And side. you're like, "Oh no, buddy! Like this is trouble." So yeah, your proximity's great, right? You've hit it to ten feet. Well done but you've hit it on the complete opposite side that you want to hit it. You'd rather have 40 feet chipping back up the hill than this 10-footer. And that Because green, you're more scared so of making slippery. bogey from 10 feet yes. than you are from 40 feet below the hole. Yes. That's what phenowing it is. Hitting it close consistently, but being in pretty much the worst spot to putt from. Right, and sometimes it's not putting from the worst spot. Like, he's hitting it close, and so he's like, they're really good at putting, so he's made a number of those. But all of a sudden, it gets in a hazard it gets plugged in a spot people go oh, it's such a bad break i was like well if you keep putting it there it's gonna fall apart it's the playoff at riviera between right. him and max homa how many of y'all remember victor hovland making the quad on his 36th hole right right so how many of you remember that my data in that round is the same one that that morikawa won we're looking at it going he's only like four under after two rounds my data said he's going to get to 11 or get to 15 we're like he's not going to get to 15 the guy's like yeah he made a bunch of birdies in the second round but like he can't keep that up. Whatever. He makes. He goes seven under, four under in his last two rounds. Shoots 15 under par. The data predicted the quad without telling you it was going to be a quad. It doesn't know if it's going to be bogey, 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 bogey. It doesn't know if it's going to be double, double. It doesn't know if it's going to be double, bogey, bogey, or a quad. It just knows if you continue this, be, this pattern of behavior, it's eventually going to hit you. That's the game of averages, right? So... Here's the pulling of Finau. So this is Finau in a tournament uh, early last year. Round two, so, so you know I'm not lying. There's Finau up at the top left, okay? So we're looking at uh, – go away. Stop. Check. That's fine. So three minutes, okay. Round two, it's highlighted in blue there. 8.53 is what he should be. After two rounds, so look up here. After two rounds, you'll see rounds one and rounds two. He was 400 and 500. Far right column says uh, FI there. He was nine under after two rounds. Now, my data said he's going to finish at nine under. He went 13-11 on BPNs and then 10-11. and 11, So he stayed pretty much on it. Went even part, even part in the final two rounds. Pulled a Finau, shot nine. Congratulations! Tony Finau literally just has to move his mark slightly he only has to move his aiming targets by like two or three yards and all of a sudden you know you've heard people talk about you know if tony finos coming second more than like any other player like if he could just get and become first he'd be the next tiger woods that's correct the crazy thing about it is they're good enough to change it too like right you don't have to tell them he's these literally things. that good <clears throat> you could tell him tony i want you to hit it right there and he could change his potentially, and this could be a stretch, but in some ways it's not, his whole career correct, based off of some of this. So here's the funny part. We talked about this with Elijah. Is like <clears throat> when we look at this data, when you're only hitting 10 and 11 as a PGA Tour player, you're literally as good as chance. Like it's a 50-50 chance to finish on that side or that side. Like you're just doing as good as chance. You're one of the best players in the world. Okay. Uh so, for Finau, it's learning to switch that target over ever so slightly. It's why when he was tied with Homa at Riviera last year, everybody's like, Tony Finau's going to beat Homa. I was like, no, he's not. And then, 
this win. Remember the crazy shot Homa hit from like under the tree everybody thought was so crazy? It's like, well, they both missed the BPN. So they're basically from, doesn't matter if he's closer and in a better spot, they're basically at a neutral playing field at this point. They've both missed the target. They tried to drive the green on that on that playoff hole. It's a wash. They're, they both missed the target, so who cares? And they tie it, and they go to the next hole, and sure enough, Finau trying to hit it close, missed the BPN, ends up in a bunker, and makes bogey, and Homa had an easy two-putt par from the BPN from about 35 feet. Easy, easy peasy. Like, Homa just had to hang in there long enough for Finau to fall apart under pressure. To pull a Finau. Right. Yeah, but it's for not Finau to Finau. People would say it's, <laughs> yeah, people would say it's choking. It's not, it's not choking. Like, it's, it's just not in this case. Like, you just fell to your averages. And sure enough, with enough stress, you will. So, um, what was my last point I was going to make on this? Um, so, the power of this is not in the predictive. It's super cool, and it's fun to play with money in Vegas, but I don't recommend it because the R-squared value of that data is very, very low. R-squared value means that all of the score can be explained by only these three things, which we know is foolish. Right, So the R-squared value is low, but those three data points do predict outcomes. They are accurate, but there are other things that happen. So the power of this is I've begun to consult with some universities, <coughs> um, and I have some college coaches coming down in two weeks. Um, so you'll see them here. My, if you look at early June, people are like, you don't have any lessons to like the second week of June. It's like, yeah, because I'm full this coming week, plus that week's booked up. But what I did is I've consulted for a university. I'll leave them unnamed at this point. <laughs> um, I went to Pinehurst to watch them play in a tournament. So I presented the data to them in November and went to Pinehurst this spring. And one of the guys is, like, the whole team sets the marks in the practice round. Like, hey, we know where the pins are. We're going to set all those marks, and we got to hit all these marks as a program. <clears throat> one of the guys, I watched two of them play. And in that first round is 36 in one day. Uh, one of the guys was hitting a high value of BPNs, but his proximity on first attempt wasn't great. Like, he's sitting around, like, 35, 40 feet, hitting a lot of greens. If he misses a green, he's got an easy chip. If he's hitting at the correct locations, he's, like, even par or one over after 18. And I go to coach. I said, hey, I haven't seen every hole. I've only seen about 15 holes, but I think he's hit almost every single BPN. I said, I want you to walk up to him at the turn, or at turning for that next 18. I said, I want you to tell him to move his proximity closer. Just tell him to nudge it closer. I said, if you tell him to nudge it closer, I think what will happen is probably make three birdies in the first six holes. Guess how many birdies he made in the first six holes? Three. Good try. Four. That would have been cool. Uh, so he made three birdies in his first six holes. So the power of it is in your own course of play, it's super easy to track. Like, hit it. Didn't hit it, this is my proximity on my first attempt. Hit it, didn't hit it, this is my proximity on my first attempt. And so you can be through five or six holes, and a, and a coach doesn't have to figure out where to sit. Any of you who have been around college coaches, like, coaching golf's kind of difficult. It's like, okay, we're going to stand on a hard hole. Well, that's kind of, like, is that actually the best thing to do? I'm going to follow this player because he needs more help most of the time. Is that really the best thing to do? I'd be standing every five or six holes and just sit there and look and, like, where are we trending? Where are we trending? How do I need to nudge them? Like, hey, nudge it further from the hole, nudge it closer to the hole, nudge your BPNs, nudge your OPs. Like, <laughs> let's, like, eat your greens and eat your peas and carrots. Um, so, like, can you nudge the thing where you need it to go? And so it's really cool to see that. That was my first time to do that with a program, and the coaches trusted me enough, which I'm glad they did, like, 
to nudge him closer. He makes three birdies in his first six holes, turning that that second eighteen. I'll think how um, I think how I'll wrap this one up is that we can predict the the tour as much as we want. And like Scott said, that's fun. But the fact that we can say we can highlight the three things that we need to do in order to shoot better scores, that's the magic. Yeah. The magic is being able to say, okay, nudge your proximity a little bit and you'll be good. Okay, awesome. That turns to three birdies. Hit, just hit the right side of the fairway. Okay. That translates or you don't even have to hit the fairway. Other. Just hit it over there. Exactly. And so where this book is going and why you should get golf decoded is because this book dives into the archives of how we determine what a BPN is, how how we do what we do when we're talking about these metrics. <laughs> and so that's why I would urge you to get golf decoded because obviously Scott can go on forever. Yeah, about, it's awesome. About this. It's cool. As any as anybody who creates a new a new invention does. They're super passionate yeah. about it. And I think that's why you can hear it in Scott's voice because it does work. So I would encourage you guys to go onto Amazon, grab Golf Decoded. If you can't figure out how to get it, grab it right here. Make sure that you follow Scott on Instagram at Golf to figure out um, how you can get the book or if you have any questions about it because he'd be more than willing to answer them as well. So um, y'all, I just you can't. can do this. It's it sounds like as we talk about it, if you're listening to this, it sounds like oh my gosh, this seems overwhelming. It's three it's three points, three easy ones. You draw two lines on every hole. Yep, and like that's it. That's all you need. And if you're unsure of like where I lost my shots and you got your other stats that you're tracking, like that's great. But like, why did I lose those shots? Where were the three? Where yep. were the six? Where were the seven? Exactly. And you this know. is going to be able to get you to figure out what they are. So And what to go practice. Like we talked about in the previous two, like what do you go practice? So you'll know exactly what to do. Totally. Well, uh, again, y'all, I want to thank you guys so much for coming out to podcasting at the pub tonight. We do these things yearly, so we can't uh, can't thank you guys enough for all of the, the crazy giveaways that we've had and for staying here with us and eating Chef Richard's awesome food and just... Uh, Really showing us, uh, really showing us, and the Strixon guys out there too, just how much this club means to us, and and the fact that you guys care enough to really be involved in the culture here. So, um, man, we we just can't thank you guys enough for for showing up and showing out. So we love these little late night. What do we used to call them? Going deeper. Going deeper. Yeah. So like we enjoy saving a little more deep topic mentally or something like this. So totally, totally appreciate y'all staying. Um, if you have more questions, come talk to me, and uh, if you haven't bought a copy, buy one. And I'll sign it for you tonight. Totally, totally. Again, if you guys, yeah. Woo-hoo. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys are listening on audio, make sure that you go to Apple and Spotify. Follow the podcast as well as leave a review or a five-star rating if you guys have found any of these topics helpful. So thank you guys so much for tuning in and showing out. From Jack and Scott on the back porch of Franklin Bridge with the members of Franklin Bridge. We'll see you on the next one. Peace.